0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts.
1: This is KYW News Radio in Depth. I'm Jim Melwort. Today, December 8th, is Safe Harbor Day. Now, most of us probably never heard of Safe Harbor Day before this year, but it's a key date for presidential elections and the Electoral College, dating back to the 1876 election when the country was still scarred by the aftermath of the Civil War. It was designed to be kind of a a circuit breaker, a deadline for debate, before all the electors uh, met about a week later. Most years, it is just a date, but this year with so many legal challenges, it has meaning, It basically cements uh, Joe Biden's win and, and makes it even more unlikely any courts will step in on behalf of the Trump campaign. So I reached out to University of Pennsylvania law professor Claire Finkelstein, not only to talk Safe Harbor Day, but also to talk about those legal challenges, why they aren't getting traction, and also, what kind of long-term effects they might have on not only elections, but also our democratic process in general. Let's kind of start with the framework and, and talk about safe harbor and and what that traditionally, <laughs> emphasis on traditionally, right, uh, what that would, would typically mean.
0: Okay, well, the safe harbor deadline uh, on the 8th of December is the moment when states are supposed to end all contests regarding the election. So it's the moment when the states say, here is who we are certifying the vote for and we have resolved any issues, any contests regarding that certification. If a state has not been able to certify the results of its election, then that would also be the time that the state would have to declare that and that as it were is a, a kind of buffer so that between now and the 14th of December uh the state can in effect resolve any lingering doubts so it's not a full end to the process but it is the moment at which states are expected to have ended any debates regarding the certification of their electors
1: is that happening this year does it seem that this that that Safe Harbor is uh, being the buffer that it would typically be this year.
0: Yes. um, I believe that all states have satisfied the Safe Harbor deadline except Wisconsin, where there is a hearing on a lawsuit uh, regarding the, the state's election later in the week. But Wisconsin is still expected to be certified for Joe Biden. And so I doubt that that will change the outcome at all in in Wisconsin.
1: How binding generally is this safe harbor date? If if you get to this date and and states are certified, does that generally, uh, I hate to use a word like guarantee, but does it guarantee that January 6th is going to fall into place?
0: We're a little bit in a in uncharted waters here. From past practice, the expectation is that after the safe harbor deadline, we would no longer be in any doubt about who the state was certifying its electors for. But in the unprecedented situation that we find ourselves in, if for any reason on any of the lawsuits that have been filed in the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court were to grant certiorari and hear election-related cases, and do the absolutely unprecedented thing of involving itself in one of these uh, state law disputes regarding the election, I suppose it is still legally conceivable that a state could end up certifying its slate of electors for a different candidate.
1: And the tone of your voice implies that that would be well out of the norm.
0: That would be extremely unusual and the most important reason being that it's always been very well understood under federal law and under state the various state laws that states run their own elections and that determining the electors is a matter that is governed by state law as well as the various issues regarding how the election was run in the various states So that, for example, how close uh, GOP counters and observers were allowed to stand to the tables where the ballots were being counted or whether or not uh, there could be a three-day extension past Election Day for counting ballots or whether or not ballots could be corrected. All of the issues that are being fought about in the various states, it's always been understood that those were matters of state law, not federal law. And since we don't really have any arguments under state law that are, that are currently being addressed in state courts, the Trump campaign and the GOP's only hope for reversing this lies with being able to make a claim in federal law in the hope that the Supreme Court would magically reverse things. But that seems very unlikely to happen and would not be justified under the arguments that are being made
1: and all this against the backdrop of what what Texas is doing which uh, i guess just lay out what it is and and you know how rare that move is
0: right well the state of texas today decided to file a lawsuit against four states pennsylvania wisconsin georgia and michigan and it's an nearly completely unprecedented lawsuit while well, states do sue each other sometimes. And uh, you will r- recall that there were lawsuits from a number of states regarding Trump's travel ban several years ago, which ended up going to the Ninth Circuit and eventually to the Supreme Court. But one state suing other states over how they run their elections is really extraordinary, particularly because those elections are supposed to be governed by the laws of those various states. So it's really to have Texas come in and try to tell Pennsylvania, for example, how it should run its election laws or what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court should be saying about Pennsylvania law is absolutely extraordinary. And I'd be extremely surprised if the Supreme Court decided to hear that case.
1: With Safe Harbor and these outstanding lawsuits, does that have an effect on on them?
0: I believe that the effect of Safe Harbor would be that it would be a much steeper climb to get a court to turn around and order any kind of relief in any of these cases. But past the safe harbor deadline to say, well, now we're asking you not only to halt the certification, but to reverse it past a hard and fast deadline, which is written into federal law, uh, makes it that much more difficult. If the Supreme Court agreed, for example, that there was a compelling constitutional claim, such as uh, as some of the briefs in some of the cases have claimed, an equal protection violation. It would have the power to do it. But the more you stack up on the side of the elections being finalized and determined, the more impossible it becomes for any court to act.
1: There's been obviously a lot of, of talk of evidence of alleged fraud and then, and then also of of activist judges if you could explain the process and and explain why nothing's been able to get traction to this point.
0: Well, let's be very clear, which is that the majority of the lawsuits are not even alleging fraud. So there's a gap between what the lawsuits are alleging, what the lawsuits are, are fighting in effect, and what the talking points from Republican politicians are regarding what happened in the election. Rudy Giuliani made that very clear when having conducted various press conferences talking about fraud in the election, he was then asked by a Pennsylvania judge where the fraud was, since that wasn't even alleged in the court filings in that particular case. He had to admit, well, this is not a fraud case. (laughs) So there's an enormous gap between the specific topics of the various election lawsuits and the talking points that are coming out to rile up uh, Trump's base around claims of the election being stolen. If you look at the cases in Pennsylvania, for example, what are they fighting about? Probably the strongest case is the case in which the Pennsylvania GOP claims that Act 77, which is the act that the legislature passed in 2019 to allow widespread mail-in voting, is not constitutional under the Pennsylvania Constitution. Now, that's not a claim of fraud. That's a claim that the statute that allowed mail-in voting this year is on its face invalid because they claim it contradicts the Pennsylvania Constitution. The problem that they encountered with that lawsuit that I really see the Supreme Court as as not in a hurry to review or reverse is that they could have filed that lawsuit in 2019 when the law was first passed. In fact, the law was passed early in 2019 when the pandemic was nowhere near on the horizon by a a GOP-led Pennsylvania legislature, and only when it appeared that the heavy use of mail-in ballots under conditions of pandemic meant that there were about 2.5 million people voting by mail in Pennsylvania and that that materially affected the outcome of the election in Joe Biden's favor, did the GOP decide to go ahead and file suit, challenging that provision? And what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said was, there's a doctrine called latches, which basically means you could have filed sooner and you didn't, so your claim is no longer valid. And I see that as as an answer that the Supreme Court would be very likely to, to maintain. But the public rhetoric about the election being stolen and the passion on the part of the supporters of Donald Trump and the elected officials in the House and Senate who are willing to back Donald Trump on this are not getting into the finer points of latches or the Pennsylvania Constitution or Act 77 or any of those Find legal points that actually can be reasonably discussed, they're simply claiming that the election was stolen. And that claim, the election was stolen, uh, really doesn't match what the lawyers are doing in court because, of course, there's nothing, there's no legal claim that matches that sentiment that would have any chance of getting off the ground at all.
1: As we talk about some of the Pennsylvania lawsuits, another uh, aspect that, that hasn't been successful that but, that but has been hit several times uh, are the actions of, of the governor and the secretary of state and a lot of those steps taken in the face of the pandemic, you know, drop boxes, uh, some of the aspects where they say th- those weren't in the statute and, and, and they shouldn't have been allowed to do that. And the, the state Supreme Court uh, shouldn't have allowed that. It hasn't gained traction up to this point. And here we are, Safe Harbor Day. There's another, uh, I think you may have mentioned it. the the, the lawsuit that's been filed by Statehouse Republicans, that's pretty wide ranging. And, and one of the, the things that it brings up, does that have a chance of, of getting traction because it's more of a state level issue?
0: Yeah, I don't think it does. And, and the interesting thing here is that actually the Republican leadership on the lawsuits is contradicting their own strategy because you've got one lawsuit that's saying Act 77 is unconstitutional under the Pennsylvania constitution. And you've got another lawsuit that's saying, well, they didn't stick to the letter of Act 77. They're diverging from the statute and presumably you have to think that the statute is valid in order to claim that the secretary of state needs to adhere more closely To the statute. Now, it's not uncommon, of course, for different lawsuits to allege different things that may not be fully compatible. But what you see from this contradiction is it's really just throwing a lot of things at the wall and seeing what sticks rather than having a consistent set of claims and um, a consistent theory. In, even in a given state, let alone from one state to the next, about why the Democrats supposedly stole the election in this case.
1: And we talked a lot about the rhetoric uh, versus the actual court filings. What's the potential for this going forward? And and what, what are the... It seems to me that, that there's a lot of dangerous words being thrown around that we believe in the system, so therefore the system works. Do you see this as going down a road that we may never be able to turn around from?
0: I'm worried about several things. In the short term, I'm worried that in response to the uh, growing chorus of demands that the Supreme Court issue an injunction to halt the certification in, say, Pennsylvania or reverse the certification and allow arguments to be heard. I'm worried that if that seems to gain enough traction that the supreme court could decide to somehow put a hold on the process to send the cases back to the state courts i don't think that they're going to rule on the merits in in this case or any other case but i'm worried that they may feel that they have to somehow send it back to state courts to look at some aspect that hasn't been properly focused on or discussed or or briefed. And that alone would create so much chaos. And I, I worry about anything that would set a precedent for delaying the deadline of the 14th when the electors actually vote. Having said all that, I don't think that there's going to be any impact on the outcome.
1: From a legal observer point of view, what should we be watching for in the coming days or over the next week? I guess between now, I guess the 16th is kind of the next big date, right? I with The, the 14th. The 14th, I'm sorry.
0: 14th of December. Well, so um, I think we should be looking for an end to the lawsuits. Let's start with that. Because while, as I said before, the, the subject of the lawsuits and the claims about fraud don't match up. Um, There have been some attempts to prove fraud in the lawsuits with the signing of these affidavits, individuals who claim that they saw questionable activity or saw ballots being mishandled and so on. Um, No court has accepted any of those claims. So I think the more robust legal claims have to do with particular issues like the cured ballots, whether or not it is permissible to cure ballots, whether or not Act 77 was being properly applied in Pennsylvania, whether or not Act 77 was unconstitutional. All of these legal questions that don't have anything to do with fraud, but have to do with the discretion that states have and that uh, the Secretary of State has, and that the legislature had, under Pennsylvania law to administer the election and the fact that that was different in Pennsylvania from in other states, just as Georgia is different from Nevada, is different from uh, Minnesota and so on. The question is, will there be any legal traction for any of these variations in state practice and the possible gap between the various state constitutions and the authority for the mail-in ballots, which in most cases is legislation on the part of uh, the various states, or in some cases, direct orders by the governor in as a sort of emergency order in the face of the pandemic. All of those legal discussions, I don't believe that any of them will ultimately impact the outcome in this case. But one of the things that I'm worried about is that there may be a rush on the part of the GOP in the next two years to try to substantially uh, roll back absentee and mail-in voting so that we may start to see, um, almost certainly will start to see, a concerted effort to, especially in in GOP-dominated state legislatures, to pass legislation or to amend legislation that permitted the the mail-in voting. I'm also very concerned about the precedent with regard to frivolous lawsuits that are being filed. Why aren't we seeing Rule 11 sanctions being imposed on some of these attorneys for the frivolous or, or completely unfounded lawsuits that they're bringing without supplying adequate evidence of their claims or briefing matters adequately? we're not seeing the legal profession fully hold the members of the profession to standards that we should normally expect to see though i think our legal system is performing very well under this kind of pressure um i'm concerned if if this becomes this kind of litigation terrorism <laughs> becomes a you know a standard aftermath of every election now you know there's an upside to it which is we're battling this out in the courts rather than in the streets and so in some sense our system is working for us we still have rational judges who are who are weighing evidence and who are hearing claims and briefs still have to be filed and so we're still broadly speaking within the realm of a society governed by the rule of law but we're not that far from spilling over into having these disputes be physically Confrontational. We have state election officials who are being regularly intimidated and uh, threatened with violence. I think we're right on the brink of going from a rule of law society where we have mechanisms within our democracy to sort out this kind of dispute to really having the system no longer hold and having the degree of polarization just completely tear the country apart.
1: I was gonna ask you about if these lawsuits were walking a fine line, and I do more criminal than, than civil, so I don't know you know, kind of what the rules are surrounding civil, but are they walking a fine line of not crossing into uh, frivolous or, or any potential, anywhere where they could get in trouble? Is there the possibility or, or should, in your opinion, there be some pushback to to these?
0: Yeah. I mean, there are two sorts of pushbacks that we could see. We could see lawyers getting slapped with Rule 11 sanctions, which in some cases I really do think we should be seeing. I, I think judges should be raising these issues, even if the parties are not. But the other kind of pressure that we ought to see is that there ought to be bar association examinations and whether or not some of these individuals are Satisfying the the requirements to continue to be members of of their state bars, and I know that there are there are efforts right now underway, and a, a letter was signed, I think, by by fifteen hundred uh, members of the legal profession who are who are calling for potential disbarment proceedings. So. I think that's very unlikely to happen. Uh, but bar associations are going to have to start policing the boundaries of the licenses that they that they give uh, if we're going to see this kind of these kinds of frivolous lawsuits and 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 unethical behavior on the part of members of the bar.
1: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Jim Melwert, and we'll have another episode out soon.